Good day. This is Eric Sinrod from Dwayne Morris, bringing you your weekly Tech Law 10 podcast where the law and information technology intersect. As always, I'm joined by Jonathan Armstrong of Cordery, and I'm hoping it's actually Jonathan and not an AI robot. I know we had that conundrum once upon a time. So, Jonathan, is it you or is this AI I'm talking to, and what's on your mind? Well, I can confirm it is really me, Eric. Thanks for the introduction. And I thought it might be interesting just to look at a couple of key conflicts with AI. So just to recap a little bit, I'm sure that you and I, Eric, could probably talk for tech law 10 hours on AI and some of the risks and things to think about. And we could obviously instruct a machine to talk for longer than 10 hours. But to keep it simple, I I think there's a lot of hype around AI, but clearly people are using AI type applications for more things now. And some of those applications are hitting the legal domain, for example, to streamline due diligence in transactions or to assist with e-discovery. But obviously, there are inherent conflicts between AI and the legal requirements that you might be under. There might be all sorts of ethical considerations in addition, and it's easy to see ways in which laws can be uh, can be broken. For example, it is alleged that a university this week in London possibly used some form of AI or machine learning or predictive techniques to redo the access passes of students when there was a royal visit at the university. And some allege that based on things like surname and ethnic origin, students were graded in terms of their terror risk, and some were excluded from the building whilst their classmates could use their passes to access the building as normal. So AI raises a number of issues, and maybe we just look at two of those potential conflicts. The first, I guess, is big data versus GDPR. So we've already seen conflicts, for example, in an AI system based on Google, Mar uh, Google Mind being used in uh, a hospital in the UK to try and predict health issues. And the, sorry, Google DeepMind is called, the, the, the system sucked in a lot of data for good reasons, probably, to try and predict ailments ahead of time and direct care of those individuals. But the issue was, of course, that you have to do systems like that in accordance with data protection principles. And that will mean being transparent with patients. It'll mean using data proportionately. And it'll mean using data for the reasons that you've explained to them in advance. So we're likely to see big conflicts, I think, between the big data elements of AI and, uh, and, and, um, and, and, and GDPR. I think the second big conflict we're going to see is around ubiquity versus security. So one of the 
aspect of AI that's really attractive is to have data sets multiplied in different places. So, for example, if I'm driving my car, uh, I can now do things like I can upload my address book to my car, and that's pretty basic, and that isn't AI. That's just mirroring the data. But you could get a situation where my transport data, if you like, is being uploaded to my vehicle, which can predict journey time. So we've already got vehicles that we can sync with our calendars that will monitor the traffic and will say, do you know what? It's about time you got in the car and left if you want to get to, I don't know, the soccer game tonight. But you can obviously, if you can mirror data, then you can have it everywhere and in every device. And that can use, uh, can, can use other data to predict when you need to go and so on. But obviously, the more copies we keep of data, the more vulnerable it is to information security episodes. And we're seeing, for example, with a lot of the Microsoft 365 um, attacks that, that we're dealing with on a professional basis at the moment, the more data that's in one pot, the more attractive it is to people. And I guess the other fundamental thing we've got to do is distinguish between machine learning and AI proper. And when I was a kid, I think I've mentioned this story before, I tried to program a computer to teach people how to drive from my hometown to the nearest village. And as a project, as a 12, 13 or 14 year old, it, it was challenging, but it was doable. But that wasn't AI. That was machine learning. I was trying to teach the machine what I knew about that route. And obviously, a lot of the stuff that people are calling AI isn't really AI. It's replicating human intelligence according to decision trees and the code that's in it, rather than having the uh, engine, if you like, the computer think for itself. And as we move more towards full AI, then we've got all sorts of uh, difficulties. You know, just to take one, if I'm driving down a motorway uh, in the UK, some people drive at, uh, at what's called a tolerance. So they say, okay, the speed limit is 70 miles an hour, but the police won't prosecute me if I'm going less than 78, so I'll therefore drive at 78. Now, as a result, the fast lane of the highway then has, a, has an average running speed of, let's say, 83, because many people are going at 78 and the odd one's going at 90 and is breaking the limit clearly. So if we're using machine learning, we can say to our, our, um, our car, okay, the speed limit's 70, so you must never join the fast lane when the average speed is 78, because that would be breaking the law. And as lawyers, we might want to program our cars to do that. But if we're, if we're looking at AI and we don't tell the machine what the speed limits are or we miss out vital bits of information, then obviously it's going to drive at the running speed when it's in the fast lane and, and break the law all the time. And if it breaks the law, who's responsible for that? Is, am I responsible because I didn't program the machine? 
Is the mm. owner of the vehicle responsible because they allowed it to be there? Is a passenger responsible? But there could just be a simple passenger, like an Uber passenger, who's got into a, a, a driverless car. So maybe that was too complicated an example. <laughs> but, but what I was trying to do is highlight some of these thoughts that we've got to have. And one practical measure around it is in the uh, case which came before the UK regulators on, on the hospital, the, um, the regulator said, OK, I want to see a data protection impact assessment. So under GDPR, any form of AI is likely to be a mandatory data protection impact assessment. There's a process you go through to look at risks, particularly those relating to privacy risks, but obviously, you can take the opportunity to look at other risks at the same time. And I think that's a great methodology for looking at the risks and looking at the mitigations. So I guess my practical step is AI equals DPIA, certainly if you have any data from, uh, that, that touches Europe, you need to do that process before you embark on your AI journey. Well, spoken like a true AI robot. <laughs> Across our uh, about 250 podcasts, I do remember one when we talked about your hometown. You mentioned the computer program directing people to your hometown. I remember it, Hartley Pool. Uh, do you, yeah. But you don't know my hometown, do you? Now, if you were a very sophisticated robot, you could figure it out right now. I'm from Bethesda, Maryland, outside of Washington, oh, wow. D.C. So when we get to podcast 500, I want you to remember Bethesda, Maryland. Um, yeah. Those are interesting observations, Jonathan. And I guess the, the following points I want to make, and I'll be brief just so we stick close to 10, although I think we're a little past it, and that is, you know, when we deal with, you know, AI, uh, we're obviously gaining great efficiency, but at what cost versus human interaction and, frankly, self-sufficiency. So we have these devices, one that we all know about is, you know, Amazon's Alexa, and we can command Alexa to do all sorts of things for us in the home, et cetera. Um, but again, we're talking to uh, AI as opposed to interacting with a human being, and we're also depriving ourselves of some self-sufficiency to do things for ourselves. We're now having all sorts of communications over the telephone, and oftentimes you're 30, 45 seconds into a call, and you actually think you're talking to a real person, but you're not. And then a topic that's gained a lot of attention, and I listened to a different podcast on this recently, and it has to do with sex robots. And now, you know, companies like Real Doll and others are building these lifelike um, robots uh, that can interact with a human being and actually have sexual relations with that human being. And that brings up all sorts of issues in terms of, <laughs> uh, you know, fundamentally, um, how do I say this? Uh, is it does society condone that? Is it a good thing if you're lonely or if you're widowed or divorced, or is it a bad thing because it encourages potentially certain deviant behavior on a doll that then could be replicated versus a, a true human being later on because the person becomes accustomed to having their way with the doll, so maybe they could have their way with human being, but. Um, there's so many issues we're facing as we move forward, not, not to mention also uh, the issue of uh, job opportunities going away for people because they're being replaced by uh, AI. 
and, you know, what is that going to have to do with how is that going to impact people and their livelihoods and the workforce? So as you said at the beginning of this podcast, this is something we're going to be returning to quite a bit as we go forward. Uh, I don't have any nice, neat answers here, but the, the train, as we say, is out of the station, and we're going to see many impacts, and some we might expect and some very unintended consequences. So that being said, uh, I'm not a robot. I'm still Erickson, not a Dwayne Morris. Uh, in the rainy weather in the Bay Area of San Francisco, saying this has been your weekly Tech Law 10. You can reach me at ejsinrod at duanemorris.com. Uh, we're also on the usual social media outlets. Keep providing us with ideas for topics. They've been very helpful. Uh, Jonathan, if you would like to bid us adieu. Yes, uh, I will ad- indeed. Uh, Jonathan.Armstrong at CordryCompliance.com. Do keep your comments rolling in. Please don't automate them. And we look forward <laughs> to speaking to you again in a week or so. Cheers.